Welcome back to A Good Kid, the 22-year murder mystery of Zeb Quinn. I'm Samir Nafsi. And I'm Holly Hedrick. All right, Holly, let's get into it. We first talked about in our episode number one who Zeb Quinn was, that the 18-year-old disappeared. And we also noted the last person he was seen with, Robert Jason Owens, and the growing public uh, impression that this case had, of course, gaining a lot of attention here in the Mountain community. Yeah, billboards going up, missing poster signs. And at this point, Zeb's been missing for two weeks. That's right. And I actually want to kick out to a soundbite in the start of this podcast from January 17th. And I think it piggybacks off of an interview we included in our first episode, but it really lays that foundation of public attention and people really wanting to know what happened to 18-year-old Zeb Quinn. Go ahead and take a listen. One of Quinn's high school classmates spotted his car here at the Little Pigs Barbecue on McDowell Street Sunday night, but there was no sign of Zeb. All right. So that was obviously... January 17th. I want to backtrack just one day, two weeks after Zeb Quinn disappeared. This would be January 16th, and detectives in the community and the Quinn family would really get a turning point in this case, and that would come in the form of Zeb's Mazda. They actually spotted it outside of Little Pig's Barbecue. Little Pig's Barbecue, about five miles from the Walmart on Hendersonville Road where Zeb worked, and this is a really interesting twist and turn, and this is a part that you're getting ready to talk about that people who were remember this case, this is one of those details that they remember most. I think when I first learned about the Zeb Quinn disappearance and the Robert Jason Owen saga, this is one of those things that you instantly latch onto just because it's so bizarre. It's and eerie. It's, it's creepy. You can't really wrap your head around it, and it doesn't really make a lot of sense, especially as we dive into it. So let's do that. Uh, they found Zeb's Mazda outside of Little Pig's Barbecue, and on the back, there was a pair of lips drawn with two exclamation points on each side. And you can imagine detectives finding this. It's a just a giant question mark at this point. But they said they had no idea what this was made of, if it was drawn with lipstick, paint, or marker. So detectives, equally as confused, really didn't have a lot of information. And you can kind of get that feeling from this interview that we did back in 2000. So let's go ahead and take a listen to the detective. And we're not sure when the drawing was placed on the car. Again, the outside of the car, very eerie. These mm -hmm. lips that no one has any idea what they mean. But let's talk about what's inside the car. A plastic hotel key, some empty bottles, a jacket that does not belong to Zeb Quinn. And the car seat, the driver's side seat, has been adjusted. Zeb Quinn, we talked about earlier, was about 5'9". The seat's been adjusted, so whoever was driving this car last was probably around 5'5". Five, five. And even more bizarre, there was a black Labrador puppy inside hmm. this Mazda, outside Little Pig's Barbecue. And so it's not even just about what's in the car, but the placement of the car, all of this coming becoming even more puzzling. So let's listen to a WLOS report following this. I think it was placed there to where it would be found easily. If not, then we'd have found the car behind the warehouse, out in the woods or something like that. So at this point, things are just bizarre in the Quinn disappearance. And something that a lot of people mentioned, and uh, I can tell you this was in investigative notes that News 13 obtained, also while speaking to several people who are familiar with the Quinn disappearance, one thing they would always talk about, especially when it came to the pair of lips in that puppy, was the symbol that this was meant, or the message that it meant behind, which people would say was puppy love. And that just became... It, 
interesting uh, rabbit hole, so to speak, to really think about because we know Zeb Quinn was in this alleged relationship with Misty Taylor. People. Let's talk about how long that was for people that don't remember. They only knew each other a couple of weeks right. from what we understand prior to his disappearance. And she, of course, has the boyfriend, Wesley Smith, and they have a child together. So this whole relationship was even more strange because how could this be? It's weird. And uh, for me, I always kind of think whenever I hear puppy love, I always think that the nuance of like a new relationship, it, it's the beginning of it. Everything's lovey-dovey. So it kind of fits if we are going with that narrative of this alleged uh, lover's triangle with Misty Taylor, uh, Wesley Smith, and Zeb Quinn. We also had a chance to speak to Zeb's mother, Denise, uh, at this point in 2000. And she told us that police stopped by after discovering the car and they went and started combing through evidence to see if they can kind of glean any new uh, lead for the case sure. and disappearance while searching for Zeb Quinn. And the only thing that really mounted to uh, anything coming out of that room would have been his computer. Now, we don't know if they were able to get anything off that computer or if it provided any new details. But Zeb's mom, of course, at this point, her child's been missing for two weeks. You can only imagine the heartbreak and worry she had. So just go ahead and take a listen to exactly what she says in her search at this point for Zeb Quinn. Someone knows a little bit more about his comings and goings than they're saying. I don't know for sure that they know where he is. This provides some hope, at least a glimmer of hope from the community. Maybe there's some evidence. Maybe there's something going on here. Detectives also released the information now about Zeb's car. The blue Mazda protege, license plate number KXK. So something that was kind of easy for folks to mm -hmm. remember. Providing some assistance. They're asking the public, if you see this vehicle, if you've seen this vehicle, please give us a call. Let us know. So this leads to Jeff and Glenda Trantham. They actually end up calling APD. Jeff told detectives he was driving on East Tunnel Road in Asheville when they noticed this Mazda. They think it's Zeb's Mazda. This is on January the 14th. Now keep in mind the car was found January the 16th. So this is just two days prior on a different part of town. This is more towards the downtown area. His wife Glenda points out the vehicle and mentions to her husband, I think this resembles that missing kid, Zeb Quinn's vehicle. And so this makes it more interesting. Maybe it's a glimmer of hope. Listen to what the detective has to say after that. You know, we're not as concerned about how they got the car as we are of where they got the car. You know, they, it could have just been somebody that found it sitting on the side of the road. Now, we know the Tranthams went to APD to help create a sketch of that driver. And just go ahead and take a look at these two images. They told detectives that it was a white female who looked to be in her mid-20s to 30s. She had light brown hair with a round face. And this is the computerized sketch that detectives were able to create. Now, I, I want to note, Jeff said it didn't look exactly like the driver, but uh for you, Holly, just go ahead and take a look at these two pictures. This would be obviously the computerized sketch, the one closest to me. You can see the name right there. That's Misty Taylor. Misty Taylor. This is from her driver's license. Mm -hmm. From 1997. And just taking a look at that, those two images next to each other, the hair kind of similar. Very similar, yeah. The face structure also kind of similar. Even the eyes. Right. And this is something that obviously created a circus, especially when this came out, uh, when it was released to the general public. Now, what's also interesting is the finding of this vehicle and people coming forward regarding the sketch 
kind of brought some renewed attention and renewed hope to the community and his employees at Walmart, who at this time, remember, we told you in the first episode, had a poster up of Zeb Quinn, his name badge, as well as the yellow ribbons that they were wearing in honor of Zeb Quinn. And we had a chance to speak to yet another Walmart employee. So let's go ahead and take a listen to what he had to say. Well, right now, anything is a good is a good sign. Um, everybody, everybody's worried about him. And anything that we can find, whether it's good or bad, it can relieve some of the stress and worries from everyone at this time. Rumors are still swirling in the community about an alleged love triangle. That's right. And there's still a lot of hope within the community to find the missing 18-year-old who's been uh, gone for about two weeks at this point. Detectives are continuing to interview people, and they interview a man by the name of Jeremy Costner who said Zeb was alleged to have been involved with a woman who had a jealous husband. And that's according to an investigative note that we've obtained. And it's on par or on brand with what we've reported prior, of course, with people saying that Zeb was in a relationship with the girl who had a jealous boyfriend. So the rumor is still within the same ballpark or same realm, at least. He also claims that the lips drawn on that back window meant the kiss of death. A much darker perspective, much darker interpretation than that puppy love that we talked about before. It's the opposite. (laughs) Definitely a more (laughs) ominous tone to it, especially when you uh, include the word death in anything. It's a lot darker than that uh, puppy love, which you would think as a a brighter uh, aspect compared to obviously the kiss of death, which just seems dark and gloomy. But we know Misty, Wesley, and Jason continue to be interviewed by police. Meanwhile, Zeb's mom, of course, searching for her child, who's been missing for the two weeks now. We had a chance to speak to a couple people in 2000 regarding the Quinn case. Of course, that's nine months after Zeb Quinn was last seen. Employees at Walmart still very much concerned for their co-worker and optimistic that he will come back and they'll all be reunited. So go ahead and take a listen. You know, his family really misses him. You know, they put a billboard out there on on Sweeten Creek. His mom did, and uh, they miss him very much. You know, she's in sometimes shopping. She just seems real lonely. So at this point, we're nine months into the disappearance of Zeb Quinn. Of course, WLOS, our station, continues to produce stories, trying to generate any type of lead we can and assist investigators, as well as hopefully bring some closure to the Quinn family. But I want to play a portion of a story Heather Childers, who was one of the reporters who mainly covered the case in the early 2000s for us. She mentions this I Wanna, which is part of a paper. And I was just wondering if you could explain that to us. Yeah, growing up here, the I Wanna was the it place to go. I would describe it as back then as the today Facebook marketplace. This was a pretty thick publication, you know, newspaper type, and you could get it every week. You'd pay a dollar for it at the convenience store, at the gas station, and it was where you'd buy and sell anything. I mean, you could actually get apartments from there. You could sell your unwanted china. You could, you know, buy whatever it was going to be. You could also get people to come landscape. So it was buying, selling, hiring, that type of thing. But it also, it was super popular. Everybody picked this up every week to go through it and look, but there was a lot of advertisements on it too. And so you would be able to see pictures. And so Zeb Quinn would actually show up Mm -hmm. on this publication trying to get the word out that he's missing. So then was it common to see a missing person flyer in there or no? No, but this was just things that they would put in there when they could. And this was such a huge case that it would show up in strange places like the Iwana, where you were just, again, going to go and, you know, find out what you were going to purchase for your home later on this evening. So day. if you wanted to get a message out to the community, no eyes were going to see it. 
It was the newspaper, the Asheville Citizen Times, and it was the Iwana. Those were the two things that you always had growing up here. Oh, wow. All right, well, let's go ahead and play that clip from Heather. The latest effort to find Zeb Quinn is front and center on this week's edition of Iwana. A picture and a question, do you know where my son is? A website also asked for information with a description of the missing teen and something detectives have up to now been unwilling to say. Foul play is suspected. You hear it there. Foul play is suspected. Things really seem to be taking a turn. Was there evidence uncovered that maybe leads to the fact they believe Zeb Quinn was murdered? I wouldn't say murdered, but there definitely starts to become some more leads in the case. And that would come in the form of a video surveillance or CCTV footage that we reported on, or at least Heather did, in September. So let's go ahead and kick out to that. And she really details exactly why this new lead was so groundbreaking at the time. And the key to finding out exactly what happened to Zeb may be in retracing his final steps on the night he disappeared. And we now know that he came here to this Sitco at the corner of Hendersonville and Long Shoals Road because he came past these doors to use this phone to return a page that he'd received. We know that because Zeb was caught on tape. Again with the page. We know from a Walmart employee, they said that Zeb had been waiting all day for a page from Misty Taylor. Mm -hmm. But now we see Jason and Zeb in this surveillance video. So how does Jason try to explain this to police? Yeah, that's a great question. So WLS reported at the time in 2000, Robert Jason Owens gave this narrative to police. He basically just says that he and Zeb were going to look at a used vehicle. And this is the $450 he was saving up for was this new used vehicle. Correct. And we know as we've reported uh, previously, that Zeb was really interested in getting some new wheels. And this is when things take a turning point, and it's all due to the pair being caught on surveillance footage from a Sitco convenience store. And this happens shortly after 9 p.m., and we know that Zeb clocked out from work at that Walmart at around 9.07, so this all tracks. 100%. And this location is just down the road from the Hendersonville Road, Walmart, where Zeb worked at where he was last seen. It's down the road on Longshaw's Road. Now, Owens tells investigators shortly after leaving that sit-go, Zeb flashed his high beams for Jason to pull over, indicating there was something wrong. The two pulled over near T.C. Robertson High School, which is, of course, where Zeb Quinn went to high school. And Jason says that Zeb had received a page and needed to make a call. So they went to find a nearby payphone. And this is when Zeb apparently goes, makes his phone call, and then kind of freaks out, backs into Jason's vehicle, and causes, what, this $100 worth of damage? Yeah, he said, well, Jason said that Zeb was frantic at this point, decided to 86 the venture to go look at this new car, and that was the last time he had ever been with Zeb Quinn. So that basically concludes the 2000th portion of the disappearance of Zeb Quinn. Now I want to move into 2001. In February of 2001, there was an article published that we mentioned previously by Spin Magazine. Brett Forrest was a reporter working then, and I want to make a little correction in the previous podcast, we said Brett Forrester, his last name is Forrest, and he comes into town and he meets with the Quinn family and he meets with a number of agencies from APD to Robert Jason Owens to co-workers of Zeb Quinn all to assemble this article titled The Vanishing. It's a national magazine spinning a local tale, the disappearance of Zeb Quinn. If nothing else, 
what a blessing for my child. For the whole country to be able to get to know him and what's going on surrounding him. Zeb's been editing now for more than a year. The article lays out pretty much what we know so far, but it includes an interview with Robert Jason Owens. WLOS then following this article finally interviews Owens for the first time. Take a listen. Hey there. Hi, Jason. Yeah. I'm Heather. He's the last person police know Zeb was with the night he disappeared. And one of the things we wanted to ask Jason about is why he checked himself into this urgent care center the day after Zeb disappeared. And more importantly, why he didn't mention that to detectives. Jason told us his trip to the urgent care had nothing to do with Zeb. His injuries were from a car wreck. The urgent care visit will prove to be critical in this, but also critical, a search warrant is issued. And let me tell you what it says. This is against Jason Owens, stating that there is probable cause to believe that evidence material to the investigation of the disappearance of Zeb Wayne Quinn exists on the person of Robert Jason Owens. So, Samir, I want to ask you, are they looking, are they talking about DNA? Yeah, so this was a search for DNA on the person of Robert Jason Owens. And essentially, they get a number of items when they book them down at the detention center. And I think Heather Childers really does a great job of summing up exactly what they were looking for. So let's go ahead and kick on out to a soundbite from her. Jason Owens was brought here to the Buncombe County Jail Wednesday night where he was processed for forensic evidence, including head and pubic hair, blood and saliva samples. This particular evidence will be compared to evidence that we seized from the vehicle. The legal was, of course, already starting for Robert Jason Owens, and that's something that will continue throughout this podcast and honestly subsequent episodes as well. But there's another baffling aspect of this case that I want to mention, Zeb Quinn and that page that he got. So Brett Forrest, when he wrote The Vanishing for Spin Magazine, he actually included this as well, and we've also reported on some of it. Now, police end up tracing the page that Zeb received the night he disappeared, according to reports by our station and, of course, Brett Forrest's uh, article in the tracing goes all the way back to Zeb's paternal aunt. Now, she ends up denying that she made the call. She said she was finishing up dinner at a friend's place that night. Now, check this out. She was having dinner at the Taylor's house. Why do we know that name already? This is Misty Taylor's mom's house. Correct. And they're acquaintances. They're friends. They are. So these two, the aunt and Misty's mother, knew each other from Costa's Kitchen. Same place Zeb met Misty Taylor. So it's a location that's also owned by Zeb's mom's then fiance, present day, now husband. This place is just the meeting ground for all of these individuals. Just super interesting to say the least. Also attending this dinner, Holly, Misty Taylor and Wesley Smith. So we believe that they couldn't have necessarily made this page. No, they were gone. He was waiting on a page for Misty, but it doesn't sound like it was Misty at all because the detectives have traced it back to his aunt. It went back to the aunt's house. And it's just interesting to know that our main characters, or at least two of them, were at this dinner whenever it seemed like they could have possibly had some role in it. But at the end of the day, they all have alibis. Multiple people are there to verify they're with them. And this causes, though, a rift at some point, this article. Yeah, so things didn't go over well. Of course, the aunt would have been uh, Jerry Quinn, Zeb's father's sister. And she 
ends up telling police that when she went home that night, that things appeared to have been moved around. She was essentially alleging that someone might have broken into her house that night. As for tension between the family, things are not going well. Uh, Brett reports that Denise, the aunt, and Jerry, there was a rift between all of them with the aunt apparently alleging a defamation lawsuit. Okay, so flash forward now to 2002. That's just a lot to take in. <laughs> Police would go on a high-speed chase with Robert Jason Owens after he was suspected of drunk driving, and this ends with him actually flipping his car. Take a listen to this WLOS report by Michelle Bowden. This morning we heard a large crash, and I came out here to investigate what was going on. There was about 20, 30 police officers out here, and there was a car upside down here in my driveway, and they all had their shotguns out. Police say they tried to pull 24-year-old Jason Owens over, suspecting he was driving drunk. Instead, he fled a chase that went from 240 to 26 all the way down Ledbetter Road. Sometime shortly after turning on Ledbetter Road, shots were fired at the officer from the occupant of the vehicle. All right, so of course, Robert Jason Owens in legal trouble for that situation. But I want to move along to 2005, and this is when the city of Asheville Police Department uh, basically create a video reenacting Zeb's final steps of what we know about the night he disappeared. So check this out. They had detectives actually play Robert Jason Owens and Zeb Quinn. Zeb's Mazda was there. They started filming at the Hendersonville Road Walmart and then track his uh, moves through the gas station along Longshoals. And then at the end, there's actually a video clip from uh, Zeb Quinn's mother that we weren't able to obtained, but we did get a copy of uh, this video that they created and put out on the city channel. And then we were there when they were filming the actual event. So we had some behind the scene footage. What was interesting, remember that black lab you mentioned earlier? The puppy. That puppy was actually adopted by one of the detectives working this case. Oh, wow. And shows up in this reenactment so many years later. And we had a chance to speak to Brandy Quinn, Zeb Quinn's sister, while they were out recording uh, this reenactment video, which essentially was meant to jog any leads, help people remember that night and come forward potentially with any new leads. Go ahead and take a listen. Hopeful that um, somebody will finally speak up and give whatever information that they do know to um, the police so we could have some closure. We want to bring them closure just as bad as they're wanting it. From what I've gathered, it doesn't seem that video really generated any new leads for the case. So moving forward to 2007, the case is really falling flat. They're stalling out. There's no new evidence uh, except for that car, which happened years ago. But things do take a turn in 2007, when Robert Jason Owens is 29 years old, there is new information that leads to a search warrant of his property where he now becomes a person of interest. And we have that documented through uh, a story we did back in 2007. Let's go ahead and play a clip of that. It's no longer just a missing person cold case. Zeb Quinn's disappearance is now being called a murder investigation. As you know, there's never been a body recovered in the investigation involving Zeb Quinn's disappearance. Hard to have a murder conviction when you don't have a body. Again, as they're saying, there's no body in this. There are very few clues. It's now seven years later, and they bring in a forensics geophysicist from Colorado. So they're really thinking there's something on this property to help with this search. They're using all kinds of sonar to test the ground. They've brought in dog crews. They brought in more investigators. And they searched this property for two whole days. I remember when the search was going on as a, a reporter here. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, nothing. 
They get nothing after two days of searching this property, and they determine that this home was not the location of a crime, and especially not a murder. It's just another heartbreaking blow for the Quinn family, and we had a chance to speak to Brandy Quinn's sister uh, about that, and they, she basically just says at this point they're they try not to get their hopes up, which is a heartbreaking thing to hear someone say about uh, their family member who's been missing for so long. So let's go ahead and take a listen to her. You learn not to get your hopes up, so it didn't. It was a letdown, but there have been so many of those. Now it's been so long. We would just like to know something. Now, the Quinn disappearance really would stall out up until 2015. Robert Jason Owen, still top of mind. Uh, people still believe he had something to do with Zeb Quinn's disappearance. And things would take an even darker turn in 2015 when a Hollywood couple, a mother-to-be, and her husband just vanish. I want to go ahead and play a clip from a news conference. And this is the story we'll be covering in our next episode. Detectives were able to obtain a warrant for Robert Jason Owen on Monday, March 16th. Robert Jason Owens has been charged with two counts of first-degree murder and the death of J.T. Cobb, Christy Schoencod, and the murder of their unborn child. The next episode, truly a gut punch when you learn about the Cods, who they were, and their demise. So coming up in the next episode, we'll learn about the Cod murders and the man who was their alleged friend. Until then, I'm Samir Nafsi. And I'm Holly Hedrick. This is A Good Kid, the 22-year murder mystery of Zeb Quinn. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Good Kid, the 22-year murder mystery of Zeb Quinn. If you're not already, make sure to follow this channel to stay up to date on all of our episodes. Also, leave us a review and feel free to give us a rating. It really helps boost our show. Until next time, I'm Samir Nefsi. We did reach out to the Quinn family, Schoen family, and Cod family. They all chose not to participate in this project, wanting to move on from this long saga. 